Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders in crypto and DeFi. Today on the show, we have Jeff Garzik with Vesper Finance. Jeff, excited to have you here today. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks for the invite. Excited to uh, talk to the community here. Absolutely. And so the way we typically start these off is just, you know, let's get a little bit of background on you, Jeff. And then how did you get into crypto and decentralized finance? I've been a lifelong uh, computer nerd, software engineer. I uh, started programming at the age of eight. I did worked for over 10 years uh, on the Linux kernel in late 1990s and 2000s. Uh, so deep, deep open source uh, DNA, uh, well before blockchain. And then in 2010, specifically uh, a Slash.org News for Nerds post in July of 2010, I discovered Bitcoin. First, I was uh, a skeptic. Uh, you know, how the heck can it be decentralized? Surely it's just five servers in an Amazon data center somewhere. But happily, I was myself wrong. And because it was open source, you could look at the Bitcoin source code and uh, I could prove to myself that uh, the technology really was as groundbreaking and world changing as it has proved to be. So uh, I jumped from uh, Linux in 2010 over to uh, being an early Bitcoin core developer. Uh, started uh, contributing when uh, Satoshi and Gavin, uh, the inventor and his number two, were around. And uh, have continued in blockchain uh, up until today. I've uh, always been motivated by, uh, you know, kind of payment freedom, uh, inclusion, egalitarianism, banking the unbanked. Really, the the core of what came out of the 1990s peer to peer type of culture. And uh, just uh, I, I've been very fortunate in my personal life, uh, growing up upper middle class, but. Uh, where I grew up and, and my father uh, grew up. Uh, and so I've always kind of had one eye to uh, bring us kind of back into the present. Ethereum transaction fees, uh, things like that, uh, really shutting out just so many people. When a single DEX trade costs $120 uh, and you have $120 to your name, you just literally can't use the network. And so uh, I like to focus on that uh, that level of inclusion and that kind of led to DeFi and Vesper Finance, uh, which is uh, one of the projects uh, founded out of uh, Block, where I'm the CEO and CTO. It was uh, about bringing DeFi to uh, kind of, you know, the more retail, uh, inclusive, uh, wider community. Uh, crypto's always had kind of rough edges and, uh, you know, what the heck is a hash? Uh, I shouldn't have to tell uh, you know, my, my mother, or my uncle, which string of incomprehensible numbers is, it should just work and it should just be secure. And uh, I think DeFi uh, gets us down that road and we wanted to uh, build and uh, uh, further that cause, making DeFi easier to use, making DeFi more accessible to more people on the retail side and also uh, just more approachable and uh, risk adjusted and kind of, you know, twice audited care taken for institutional customers as well. So those were kind of the two audiences that I felt were not really being served by uh, DeFi at present. You, uh, 
you know, had the and we we know them, we love them, we uh, have plenty of depositors in the the crypto G- degen, uh, you know, DeFi expert category. But uh, we really wanted to serve that broad audience because DeFi is for a broad audience. It is for everyone, not just uh, the few whales that can sub- uh, afford super fees on the Ethereum mainnet. And so uh, that's that kind of brings us to. Today, uh, you know, outside of that, I like doing outdoorsy stuff. I go backpacking, hiking. I, I own a tractor and play around on my land. Uh, all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah, and I'm I'm getting the impression from you, Jeff, that you know, open source software and open source code development is is really important to you, uh, just based on your experience with with Linux, Bitcoin, and now Block and Vesper as well. Why do you feel like open source code is so important and how is it such, do you feel like it's a huge improvement over, I guess, closed source or what are kind of the pros and cons of that just in your mind? Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, there, there's a saying from the open source community, uh, with many eyes, all bugs are shallow. Uh, meaning that, uh, you know, the more people, that can, uh, you know, specifically software engineers, but not necessarily limited to software engineers. The more people that look at source code can think about it, you know, metaphorically beat it up and uh, iterate on it, try to improve it, the better we all are. And uh, in contrast with closed source, you have fewer people, fewer eyes on software. And I think the the track record, the data, I try to be data-driven, the track record is that closed-source software relies on security through obscurity. And that has led to uh, a number of different hacks over the decades, whereby once that secret's out, if that source code's leaked or reverse-engineered, which is uh, pretty easy to do these days, then your security through obscurity uh, is totally useless. So I think that open source is more secure. Open source can be developed more quickly because you have more people uh, working on it, uh, more eyeballs, uh, as it were. I think that's proved over the past uh, couple decades that I've been involved in open source. Uh, it's very much like uh, uh, biology or chemistry or some of the other hard sciences where uh, peer review and uh, the sharing of uh, data and code among peers to uh, you know produce the the best highest quality work has been imported into open source. So when I hear open source, I hear uh, you know those biologists and chemists uh, performing peer review on each other's work. That's uh, that's the gold standard. It doesn't always meet that standard, but uh, that's the gold standard. And I think that. Uh, if you look at what software everyone uses, just widely, I'm talking way outside the crypto space. You know, Android phones—they're built on Linux. That's open source. Most of the uh, servers and data centers that are, you know, serving your Netflix, Disney, Amazon—you know, web pages and videos and YouTube's—all of that is uh, served by uh, open source servers and open source software. And so I think the track record is that uh, it's it wins, and it wins for uh, some specific economic and engineering reasons. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. 
So let's talk about Block. We want to talk about Vesper, but it I guess it's my understanding that Vesper was born out of Block. So can you talk about I guess what went into your founding of Block and what other projects have come out of Block and I guess what is the sole purpose of that organization and your role within that organization? Sure. Block was uh, co-founded by uh, myself and uh, Matthew Rozak, who is a prolific uh, investor and company operator in the space. I'm the CEO, CTO, and uh, Matthew is the executive chairman. What we uh, were, uh, we founded it in uh, 2015, and it's really a vehicle for building and spinning out uh, really well-engineered uh, crypto products, uh, similar to a project. Excuse me. Uh, I uh, may draw the analogy to uh, the Edison Company in the early 1900s that was formed around uh, spinning out a lot of uh, Thomas Edison's uh, inventions. Uh, what we uh, have created uh, over at Block is uh, a nodes and infrastructure business, which uh, if you need a Bitcoin or Ethereum node that uh, uh, is a fully redundant, stable, highly available environment, uh, you can come to uh, Block.com and uh, buy that. We spun out Metronome in uh, 2017. Uh, that's a uh, you know very uh, uh, decentralized uh, ethos uh, type of project. It's fully permissionless. There is no uh, governance DAO. There is no administration keys. Uh, there is uh, I think it's number forty on the DeFi Pulse list. Uh, Metronome is uh, holds over forty five million dollars worth of uh, uh, ETH in uh, a vault that no one can touch except for these uh, core programmatic rules. And uh, just like the, the musical metronome that goes tick, tick, tick and gives you a beat, uh, metronome has been ticking away uh, quietly since its uh, 2017 launch. If you, it's kind of a uh, ETH-backed quasi-stablecoin, if you want to think about it that way. Uh, we spun out uh, a business that uh, got a lot of press recently, uh, Titan Mining, that does Bitcoin mining. We have uh, several other initiatives, uh, which are uh, non-public, uh, but uh, will be uh, public pretty soon. And Vesper uh, was one of those. So uh, we uh, uh, wanted to, again, uh, take... Uh, DeFi, we're, we wanted to level up DeFi. We wanted to level up the user experience. We felt there were too many rough edges, felt it was very off-putting uh, from a both an economic as well as a user experience standpoint. Just wanted to make DeFi more approachable, more easier to use. And uh, that uh, was uh, kind of, we were already doing blockchain infrastructure at Block, and so it was very thematic. Uh, and very on mission to uh, spin out uh, eventually what became of uh, uh, what became best for finance as you see it today. Yeah, I totally understand that because when I'm trying to onboard uh, friends who are interested in DeFi or interested in the crypto space, uh, it can be clunky. And like you said, a little rough around the edges. But as you said, that's why y'all came into founding Vesper Finance. So can you tell us now just what is Vesper Finance? Like what is 
what does this protocol do and what is it aiming to accomplish? We really wanted to uh, make the user experience of uh, participating in that initial layer of DeFi uh, very simple, very approachable. Um, we founded Vesper in uh, kind of the early days of the pandemic when there was the uh, DeFi Food Festival. There were pickles and yams and sushis and, and all of these to the retail user who is not following uh, you know, crypto Twitter and crypto drama on a day-to-day basis. It was nearly impossible for the, the average person to make some sort of decision of where to put their their assets is that asset going into a well audited uh, DeFi uh, contract setup, or is that uh, into uh, some uh, contract written by a uh, you know a drunk teenager at two a.m. He put a Shiba Inu label on it, and there it goes. It's so difficult sometimes, even for software engineers, to evaluate the security of a project that uh, average users kind of had no hope. And uh, we founded Vesper as a layer, sort of, you know, maybe a translation protocol almost for users to just say, well, I have confidence that Vesper Finance is going out and evaluating each of these projects uh, through the Vesper community and uh, deciding on security parameters, asset limits, performance parameters, and then deploying that into a uh, decentralized, non-custodial set of pools so that users, they wouldn't have to, you know, discern, okay, security or YAM security or uh, sushi security. We've, uh, we've done through that, uh, that community and that software pipeline process, done that work for the users. And so they can just come to Vesper and have the confidence that if I have some, you know, let's pick a, a thematic token, uh, DF- DPI. If they have some DPI tokens, they can have the confidence that they deposit it into a Vesper pool. It's going to uh, automatically uh, uh, seek the best uh, APY among all the safe, uh, tested, audited DeFi products, such that uh, you can have a confident, higher confidence you can never be certain, nothing in life is certain, but have a much higher confidence that that balance is not going to go to zero one night in a hack. Right, so y'all are leveraging the composability of other DeFi projects, is that correct? Is that how, and how do the Vesper grow pools or the Vesper earn pools, how do those work exactly? Yeah, that's that's exactly what's going on, is uh, some some people apply the label meta, aggregator in that we uh, connect directly to as many DeFi platforms as we can, which are safe. And uh, we go through that first level of evaluation of, you know, is uh, a given DeFi platform uh, that we want to compose with that composability? Is that DeFi platform uh, audited? What's its track record? How long has it been on the market? Uh, We call that seasoning. Uh, has it uh, kind of been through the Darwinian trial by fire of the open market and the open internet for a month, three months, six months, a year? Uh, that all of those raise our uh, trust and quality metrics, and that uh, sums up to, uh, 
how do the Vesper grow pools work? They uh, examine uh, those metrics that produces a list of yield strategies, modular automated yield strategies, which are going out to compound or harvest or ave or yearn and sourcing the best yield within those risk parameters. So uh, again, that, that might be a lot of uh, technical how it works, deep dive uh, for the audience. But uh, you know, the top level experience for the audience member should be that uh, users deposit a token and it uh, compounds at the maximum safe market rate. And they don't have to worry about uh, things that are confusing, uh, like impermanent loss which uh, just explaining what impermanent loss is to an average user is uh, something that, in my humble opinion, should not, uh, you know, that's a speed bump. That's mental friction for a user if they have to figure out uh, these complex things. And so we want to reduce that mental friction of uh, using DeFi as much as possible. And that's what Grow does. So you don't have to worry about impermanent loss. You just deposit a token and that token compounds similar to a, uh, a savings account or something like that. Yeah. And you mentioned that, I guess, gas fees on mainnet can be a little restrictive, right? You said if you have $120 to pay for gas, but you, it, but you only have $120 to your name, it, it's just not going to work. So is Vesper deployed on other, I guess, side chains in layer twos? Um, or which ones are y'all looking at in the future for that? Yeah, absolutely it is. And the mental picture that I conjure is Ethereum is a pitcher of beer. And we're pouring more and more beer, that's uh, transaction volume, into this pitcher of beer. And eventually, when it uh, gets full, it's going to spill over. And metaphorically, that's what's happening now out in the market is uh, Ethereum transaction volume is high, which, as the way the system works, the network use fees go up. That's gas fees. And when those fees go up, people look for alternatives that are lower fees. That's just natural economic incentives. And uh, so we're very technology neutral. We're not, uh, we don't want to pick a winner. We want the market to pick a winner in terms of whether it's a, uh, a layer two protocol, such as a, an Arbitrum or a ZK rollup, such as Loopring, or whether it's a, uh, another L1 chain, a layer one chain, such as an Avalanche. Um, we are uh, deploying across uh, all of the L1s and L2s, all the places where the users are. Because that's, uh, you want to go where the users are. The users, again, we, uh, we believe in the wisdom of the market. And uh, the wisdom of the market is uh, pointing us to uh, specifically uh, Polygon, where we're uh, live in production as of uh, late last week, December 17th, when Vesper Season 2 launched. We are uh, coming to uh, Arbitrum, which is a, an L2. We're coming to uh, Avalanche, which is an L1. And uh, the, the march continues. We want to be uh, where the users are, and the users are finding that they want lower fees so that they can, they can DeFi the way DeFi was intended. If you're, uh, you know, uh, to construct an example, 
you're getting some reward in some tokens, such as uh, uh, VSP, then you want to be able to uh, claim some of that and compound it uh, perhaps daily, perhaps more frequently uh, through some automated process. And all of that is incredibly expensive, so much so that uh, uh, your uh, fees quickly overwhelm anything that uh, you would earn on Ethereum mainnet. But that's not the case on Polygon. That's not the case on Avalanche and some of these other lily pads that uh, are being developed uh, for the Vesper protocol. So I think that uh, that brings inclusivity, that brings uh, more retail users to DeFi. And it's okay that it's not Ethereum because uh, I, I like to call Ethereum uh, Grand Central Station, meaning that if you want to go from, oh, I don't know, the Solana chain and the token on the Solana chain, let's call it JeffCoin, to uh, Avalanche, you're probably going to go through Ethereum. There are bridges, chain to chain bridges, and some other things, but uh, you're probably going to go through Ethereum to go from one lily pad to another. And so that that doesn't that means uh, you know kind of is Ethereum obsolete? And I'd answer no. I think that uh, it becomes what we network engineers call a backbone network, where other networks are uh, hanging off this uh, main Ethereum backbone network. They're settling assets to and from ETH mainnet, uh, but most users are not using ETH mainnet. Most users are using, again, the avalanches, the polygons, where the fees are actually lower. To a network engineer like me, this is a hierarchical network topology. Uh, you have one network, and then you have another network, and then you have another network, and the, uh, the edge of that network is where the uh, users are... Uh, actually transacting and that's that's what's uh, evolving out in the market today okay and there's i guess a little talk on twitter the past i don't know month or so um do you feel like ethereum has abandoned its users in that sense um it's it's challenging for users right now uh just with the uh the high fee level excluding a lot that pushes people to other chains. If you look at over a uh, 10 year time span, 20 year time span, Ethereum 2 is, uh, you know, it's being developed more slowly than some people like, but uh, the march of progress continues. And I think that uh, in uh, a couple years, which is uh, a long time in internet time, uh, things will rubber band back to the uh, Ethereum 2 and Ethereum shards, which is uh, sharding and, sh and partitioning is uh, kind of Ethereum's answer to these, uh, these alternate chains. Uh, and so uh, did, did, have they abandoned their users? You know, economically, I think the real politic answer is, is maybe a de facto yes, just as users are being priced out. But development-wise, I'd say it's a strong no. The developers are continuing towards a future where the, the fees will be much lower on these shards. It's a good question. It's a complicated question. I think we're in a temporary period where uh, Ethereum is more expensive than its developers would like. Uh, but uh, it seems that that situation 
is likely to rubber band back to Ethereum. Well, I really liked your answer there, Jeff. I appreciate that. And excited that Vesper has deployed on Polygon. Uh, us at the Index Co-op, we have a lot of our assets, uh, almost all of them now, in one way or another, on the Polygon network. I think one of the great things about Polygon is just the low gas fees, right? And I feel like in DeFi, one of the trends that we're seeing is a lot more retail-facing protocols, right? I, I mean, if you look at protocols like Curve and Yearn, I'm not really sure how friendly those are just to, you know, Joe Schmo on the street who's looking to get a little bit of yield on his assets, right? But then, you know, you've got protocols like Vesper that come around and you've got all these very interesting, I guess, vetting processes and you're on Polygon, which is a low gas fee, retail friendly environment. And, you know, you can deposit die into Vesper and you can receive your interest in DPI, uh, which is one of the partnerships that we have going on here with between Index Co-op and Vesper. Can you explain kind of what's going on under the hood uh, when that happens? If you have a user that has DAI and they want to get yield um, and they can receive that yield in DPI, it's almost like kind of a way to dollar cost average into the DeFi Pulse index. But what's what's going on under the hood with that? And what was kind of the idea behind that product? Did you, y'all see a lot of demand for something like this? Yeah, let me, let me maybe uh, high level it for the audience before getting into the how it works. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the product is uh, called Vesper Earn. Uh, we just uh, launched a, uh, a whole new product line, a whole new set of pools uh, in uh, Vesper Season 2, again, this past, this past Friday, December 17th. And what uh, Vesper Earn does, uh, we feel, is pretty unique in DeFi. Again, f- sort of purely focusing on uh, what the user sees, what the user experiences, is uh, you can come to Vesper and on Ethereum or Polygon, you can deposit uh, one token, and we use in the back end this yield generating automation framework to generate yield, which then earns a second token. So uh, uh, Vesper Grow Pools, you deposit ETH and you earn ETH, and it's your basic compounding type experience that everybody's familiar with. Vesper Earn, in contrast, is uh, you deposit a stable coin such as DAI, and in the background, Robo purchases the DPI token. We have several of these earn pools, such uh, if you deposit, I'll give several examples. If you deposit ETH, it will earn DAI stable coins. So that's for crypto hodlers. Uh, if you hold uh, ETH or BTC, you can come to Vesper, hodl that. Your principle is preserved. That's the uh, you know very key to understand. And uh, furthermore, the interest from that principle is used to earn a different token, ETH to uh, die. ETH into die says that you're depositing ETH and you're earning a stream of uh, U.S. dollars. And in the inverse, we have uh, several pools, several earn pools where users can deposit dollar 
notes in the form of stable coins, the, the DAI stable coin, and you can earn a crypto. And so uh, no matter whether, uh, you know, DPI or ETH or WBTC price is up or down that day, it's a stream of dollar interest. It's a stream of U.S. dollars that goes to buy that particular token on the open market. So the die to DPI pool, users deposit U.S. dollar stablecoin. And uh, every time the robots rebalance the pool, which is every one to three days, some uh, die yield is earned internally. And that die uh, is then swapped on the uh, decentralized exchange market, the spot market, for DPI tokens. And so it's a robo-purchase through this automated machinery of the token in question. So that's how the Vesper earn pools work. So it's X into Y is the pattern. It's die into DPI, ETH into die, WBTC into die, uh, that sort of uh, pattern. And so it's a new experience for you. You know, usually you'll go to, a, a, I don't know, a yield farm or a site like Vesper, and you'll deposit your token, and you'll earn more of your token and uh, maybe a bonus uh, rewards uh, token. In this case, again, it's uh, one token into a second token. It's uh, if you're a fan of uh, fantasy and science fiction, I like to call it transmuting. You transmute the yield from uh, one token into your preferred target token. So it's a very interesting product. It takes a little bit of explanation uh, for a new audience because it's a new DeFi primitive. But I think Vesper Earn is uh, going to be something that uh, really solves some key use cases that a lot of people, again, they were doing it manually and they were paying uh, high fees to do what we're uh, now automating. Well, yeah, I can see how there's a lot of just... Uh, individual preferences of investors that this would uh it's just a great product for them something that they would really want and need how does vesper finance uh, i guess drive revenues to the the protocol's treasury is there a i guess is there a little fee on top of that or what is the treasury makeup of vesper finance and is it governed by the dow Sure, yeah. Jumping on uh, the governance and revenue system side, all of these pools uh, have uh, a set of fees associated with them. There's a uh, performance fee on the yield earned. On the grow pools, there's also a withdrawal fee. Uh, there's no withdrawal fee on these uh, earned pools. And those fees from each one of these uh, 30 or more Vesper pools go into the Vesper revenue system, the Vesper DAO revenue system. And what that means is uh, a bunch of, uh, say, ETH pool fees and BTC pool fees, etc. All of those get uh, melted down in kind of a smelter that sells uh, those tokens or swaps those tokens on the open market for VSP, which is the, the Vesper finance token. And so uh, all these fees are going to uh, buybacks of the VSP token on the uh, spot market. 
And then that the SP is uh, further uh, split, half of it, basically half goes to the Vesper DAO treasury, and the other half goes to a special uh, governance pool that people can participate in uh, the revenue sharing uh, of the Vesper system called VVSP. And so uh, that's uh, all of that is governed by uh, the Vesper DAO, which is in turn uh, governed by the uh, voting through uh, snapshot.org with your your Vesper or your VVSP tokens. So it's uh, it's a uh, DAO type shape. Uh, it's governed by a uh, governance token, and that uh, governance token links into that revenue system that uh, I just described. That all the pools and pool fees uh, link into. So it's a it's a very uh, uh, at once familiar and also uh, obviously. Uh, uh, personally, I feel uh, a very nicely designed and uh, uh, elegant system where uh, we incentivize uh, people to uh, come to us not only to use the products, but if you're a developer, then uh, there is a uh, 5% developer fee. If you're a high school kid in Dallas, Texas, and you know Solidity, you can uh, write up uh, your idea of a fantastic modular yield algorithm. You can submit it to our uh, QA and testing uh, zone. And if it uh, kind of survives the torture tests, then you will receive a stream of income for uh, writing that for as long as that pool exists. So it's a real uh, interesting a uh, case where you can incentivize external developers to continue to uh, grow Vesper beyond what the founding team uh, originally uh, put into it. That was always the goal is, you know, just like my experience with Linux and open source, Vesper is an open source project and open source projects are, are, as the word implies, open. They're open to a community coming in and uh, helping to run uh, the protocol. It's a uh, it's a challenge in that, uh, as we say in open source, sometimes uh, you know being transparent means you're airing your dirty laundry in public. But that's part of open source. That's part of uh, working with the community, and uh, working with the community has led to uh, several interesting uh, features or directions where I, as the original designer didn't think about or didn't expect to me that really signaled that the vesper community was starting to to grow into its own as i'm sure you you see similar things with uh the index co-op and the index co-op community yeah we definitely do and you know i've kind of pigeonholed vesper as a retail facing DeFi protocol so and i'm wondering you know when you're looking at the scalability trilemma you know, of, you know, scalability, security, or decentralization, do you feel like, or I guess, which in a retail-facing DeFi protocol is the most important there? Like, do you feel like scalability is more important because retail users probably do care a little bit less about security and decentralization? Just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that in general. Well, we uh, really led with uh, heavy on the security side, reflecting that uh, a lot of the 
the DeFi projects before Vesper were lazy about that. And they didn't really, uh, you know, conform to just standard basic software engineering principles of uh, continuous integration, continuous deployment, which also means continuous testing and uh, auditing and uh, that sort. So we really wanted to uh, be in part a security layer for that DeFi experience because that security layer we felt didn't exist before uh really before vesper you had to do your own research and for there are plenty of you know lazy i'm just going to ape in and do no research uh folks which you can't really blame them uh because there's there's a lot to research and it's there's a lot of noise versus signal that really led to again uh how can we be secure by default how can we reduce user mistakes even if it's the user making the mistake how can we reduce the possibility of users screwing up that goes into our user uh, user interface user experience research and uh, the entire really the entire vesper experience so that was uh, that was first first and foremost in our minds uh, kind of born out of the summer of 2020 DeFi experience and its lack of security. And then uh, obviously we followed up on that uh, with scalability, uh, releasing on Polygon, uh, et cetera. But yeah, definitely a, uh, you know, I feel that uh, the ease of use might, might sound trivial, but it actually really plays right into the security story. Because if your software is complex, it's easy to up and maybe fat finger thousands or millions of dollars into the the wrong direction and we wanted to avoid those kind of uh, mistakes so ease of use user experience uh and security we feel uh really go hand in hand the the secure experience is also uh the easiest to use and the hardest to screw up yeah and do you feel like retail coming to the space is that the next big unlock because i think for a long time the meme was the institutions are coming and i think in 2021 it finally did happen to an extent and should the next meme be retail is coming and because i think another another thing that can happen in i guess just the crypto space in general is being too early Right. If you are way too early and the community or the ecosystem is not ready for that type of project yet, uh, it can kind of fall to the wayside. So I, I'm assuming that you would think that Vesper being this retail facing uh, kind of filter for DeFi projects for the retail users, you don't feel like you're too early right now. Correct. I think that uh, it's, it's definitely the the year or the years of retail. Institutions always move slowly. They uh, they dip a toe in the water and then they take the toe out of the water and then they put two toes in the water, etc. And it takes them years to get through their uh, higher level decision making processes. You know, getting their own inside attorneys happy with the particular legal shape and stuff like that. So that process literally takes years for institutions, even very pro-crypto, very in interested in crypto institutions, to uh, actually uh, come to the fore. Um, you know, Fidelity is an excellent example. They're 
they initially got into Bitcoin mining. The uh, CEO of Fidelity had a Bitcoin miner on her as uh, part of the uh, let me you know let's get experience with crypto. And then the next step was they accepted crypto for uh, the Fidelity charitable uh, side of things. And then once they had that comfort level and their their inside attorneys were happy, they uh, started to move on to uh, Fidelity uh, digital assets. And they've continued to uh, get deeper and deeper into crypto. But that process has literally taken, I think, five years so far. And their CEO from the top down is a crypto fan who wants to get Fidelity into crypto. So those, those things on the institutional side are absolutely happening. And you absolutely have champions inside of these institutions who want to uh, get into DeFi as much as possible. But it takes a long time. Some of the hacks, the, the ways around that uh, years-long process is uh, like what Vesper's doing with uh, Blockforce Capital. Uh, Blockforce Capital, uh, they stand up hedge funds for uh, uh, various institutions. And institutions, they can very easily invest in a hedge fund because that, that shape and format is uh, very familiar to them. Whereas DeFi, that's a, a new shape, a new format. And so you have a hedge fund investing in DeFi, and then an institution invests in the hedge fund. I know it's kind of a uh, two-step, but that is actually how you get institutions into DeFi more quickly. But again, that takes time. And so, uh, you know, from the philosophy side, uh, as I talked about earlier in this AMA, to uh, wanting to secure the user experience and just broaden the reach of DeFi. It's been not only a focus on retail, but uh, I think retail is uh, actually responding. They're responding to, you know, if you're talking to average users, the average users are responding to what they see in everyday life, which is uh, the Web3 stuff a little bit. There's a lot of NFT stuff. All of that flows back into that gets you into crypto, which gets you into DeFi. And uh, as a retail user, we think that, uh, or, or as a, a segment, we think retail users are probably the biggest growth segment in uh, 2022 as a result. Yeah, and now I want to talk about the future of Vesper. I'm also curious as to you know, with your experience being an OG Bitcoin core developer and your experience in Linux, like how has that experience, I guess, pushed you in this direction? Like what lessons have you learned in your previous lives in the open source world that, I don't know, that you apply on a daily basis to the Ethereum DeFi world? And then what, in your mind, is the future outlook for Vesper and what's getting you excited on the horizon, on the roadmap there? Yeah, in terms of uh, principles applied, uh, transparency and community uh, are uh, pretty key. I think that uh, blockchain, I often say, is enforced transparency, meaning that uh, unless you're uh, taking steps to hide it, all the transactions are easily viewable on Ethereum so uh, uh, or the, the sister networks, making it easy to, 
to sort of prove that you're doing what you said you were going to do. So that, that proof of execution or a proof of promise is, uh, is even more prevalent in blockchain than it was in uh, uh, previous uh, Linux and open source. So uh, uh, as is community, is open source is nothing without its community. It's uh, a gr group of like-minded individuals, uh, you know, marching uh, <laughs> mostly in the same direction, getting together, organizing, communicating, and iterating how to uh, uh, move in that uh, direction faster, better, more securely, uh, more thoughtfully, more philosophically. Uh, and uh, from open source to uh, blockchain, transparency and community are, are absolutely uh, have primacy. Um, also on the sort of nuts and bolts side, a lot of the software development, software engineering practices carry over. There's uh, all the source code is on GitHub for uh, any developer to, to use, study, uh, remix, improve upon. Uh, that's that's part of the open source way. It's it's open as are our audit reports for uh, security researchers uh, to uh, you know help bulletproof the system. So a lot of those practices really carry over from uh, the Linux open source days into the the blockchain DeFi uh, uh, open source days. Uh, what's what's the future of Vesper Finance? Uh, boy, that's uh, <laughs> that's an AMA uh, in and of itself. Uh, so uh, we just uh, announced Vesper Season 2, which uh, really gives a hint into uh, what is uh, the newly expanded future. Uh, a number of different product lines uh, for uh, those uh, retail users. Vesper Grow, again, that's uh, Deposit X Earn X. So, uh, you know, deposit ETH, earn ETH, uh, et cetera. We're going to be expanding those uh, to a number of pools. Uh, as, you know, for this community, we just added a uh, DPI pool, uh, whereby uh, you deposit DPI and uh, that compounds at a certain rate. Vesper Earn, which we just announced uh, in Vesper Season 2, the, that X into Y type of primitive, you uh, deposit a, a U.S. dollar stable coin and you earn a different token, say uh, DPI, deposit DAI, earn DPI, deposit DAI, earn BTC, deposit ETH, earn DAI, that sort of X into Y pattern. Um, there is uh, There are a number of multi-chain and cross-chain initiatives. Again, uh, this is about inclusivity and getting more users at a, uh, using these products at a lower cost because that's to their benefit. They can compound more, do more on a lower fee chain. So uh, expanding beyond Polygon, which uh, we're live in production, to uh, Avalanche, Arbitrum, and some of the L1s and L2s. Expanding governance, we just upgraded the uh, revenue system per community voted upon VIP, a Vesper Improvement Proposal to upgrade the revenue system and the DAO. There's uh, governance forum participation along with that so that uh, people can uh, help steer the ship, which was uh, always the intention. That's the intention of a DAO is uh, it's a community-led, community-steered type of project. Finally, uh, reaching out to uh, a number of different projects and uh, this 
Index Co-op is an excellent example of that. Bringing uh, on board uh, folks and and their tokens like the DPI token, such that uh, Vesper is helping. You know, we're we're uplifting y'all, and y'all are uplifting us. It's just a a mutual uh, kind of win-win, positive, positive uh, type of relationship. We want to do uh, more of those across the DeFi uh, DeFi industry, and uh, we have several uh, several more unannounced. We have, for example, uh, Fay and Frax, which are uh, on their governance forums uh, being discussed and, and studied. The future has a, a number of uh, different initiatives, the Vesper Grow enhancements, the Vesper Earn X into Y product line. A number of those are uh, going to be coming out. The governance improvements, the multi-chain, all of that wrapped into this package or, or tied into a bow. Uh, that we call uh, Vesper Season 2. So a lot of stuff either just kicked off uh, in the past couple days or is uh, coming down the pipe that I think users will really find of of significant personal value to them. Yeah, Vesper Season 2 sounds really exciting, and it sounds like y'all have got a whole lot going on over there on the protocol level and at the DAO as well. And yeah, I I agree with what you said. I mean, when you have different DAOs and protocols that are partnering with each other, uh, that symbiotic relationship, it's just it's so beneficial to everyone in the ecosystem and to further composability of different protocols that just I just feel like that that helps like exponentially with the growth in the in the outreach and the benefits to the community and the ecosystems in general. And one of the things you touched on was how, you know, community is great for DAOs and protocols in the sense that it can, I guess, help projects uh, march along the same path. But uh, can that also be a, in your mind, like, could that be a disadvantage too? like just kind of thinking of like Bitcoin maximum maximalism? Uh, like, do you feel like they're missing the mark there? Or is there some sort of benefit to having some maximalists in your community? And I feel like on Twitter, we're also starting to see kind of like Ethereum maximalism as well. And maybe in some sense, almost becoming as toxic as the the ones that on Twitter that uh, a lot of people uh, don't like. I don't know. I just kind of want to get your thoughts there on maximalism. And is there a certain percentage that could be good in a sense or are all these people just missing the mark in general of in the philosophy of crypto? I would say that uh, I would go to my Zen philosophy corner of my brain there in that you always, I think, want super fans. It's easy to uh, kind of nitpick and qualify statements and, and hedge and maybe I'm not so sure about. And uh, you, you really are emotionally, I think, refreshed, no matter what community you're in, with uh, this guy is just a super fan. He loves what you're doing. That, that really energizes people. And you want, you want positive energy. You want uh, people who uh, get you excited about your own work. And uh, I think that, that level is uh, definitely on the positive spectrum. There's, there's definitely, and uh, I saw some of this from the earliest Bitcoin days uh, continuing to today. Uh, specifically with Bitcoin, there was, there was a, uh, in the early days, a Bitcoin versus the world, including other coins type of mentality. 
Uh, some of the other coins have uh, copied that. And I think that if you get into, you know, propaganda and falsehoods and you're kind of diverging away from science and honesty into uh, more religious dogma that I think can be unhealthy, you know, unprofessional and, and dishonorable. And I at least care about that stuff very much. And so, uh, and I also, uh, you know, the, in particular, uh, I'll tell you one of my trigger words is the, you know, I, I won't say it, uh, in cases, uh, you know, a, a safer work audience, but the S dot, dot, dot coin word, right. Is, uh, to me, you using that word is just, uh, you know, denigrating people's innovation. There, there are obviously, you know, coins that are nothing but hype coins that are nothing but scams. But if you get into the maximalist rooms where everything but their coin is a scam, then that's, I think, gone too far. And it winds up actually helping real criminals and real scammers hide in the noise. So as in, as I led with, it's sort of philosophical Zen. It's a range. There's not a, an absolute, you know, maximalism is bad, maximalism is good. Um, I think that there's, there's just a, a range of human behavior uh, and uh, some behavior is needlessly negative. You know, maybe, maybe more philo philosophy uh, people are uh, tribal in their DNA. And uh, just like, you know, I don't know if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm certainly an Atlanta Falcons fan. That's, uh, that's part of my tribe. And uh, sports fans sometimes uh, go off the rails when it comes to, uh, you know, hating on another team or, or pumping their team. And my, my deep, deep, uh, you know, conviction is that just tribalism's in our DNA. We can't help it. Maximalism is part of tribalism. Coins enhance tribalism. It's just something that we have to live with and deal with that some people will always go too far. You know, again, the, the people that are positive in the room, that are fans, that are adding energy, that are, uh, you know, really interested in what you're doing and push you to be a better person. That's the, you know, that's the type of person that I want in the room with me. Yeah, absolutely. And I was especially interested to hear your take on that, just given your uh, Bitcoin core developer OG background. But I think you and I share very similar sentiments there. And it, yeah, for the record, I am a Dallas Cowboy fan living in Dallas, Texas. But I could change my mind on that any day. Just depends on how the rest of the season goes. But anyway, uh, Jeff, we're up on time. I really appreciate your insights. I appreciate you telling us about Block and Vesper Finance. Would you mind just sharing with the audience one more thing and just tell us where can they go to find out more about you and Vesper Finance? Absolutely. Uh, stop by Vesper.finance. That'll be your uh, front gate into uh, everything that we've uh, talked about today. Follow us on uh, VesperFi on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter, but uh, sometimes I get a little bit uh, raucous and political, and some people might not want that. <laughs> Those are the best Twitter handles to follow, Jeff. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Um, but anyway, thanks to everyone in the audience who's listening live. I think we had about 33 of us in there at one point. This is being recorded, and so this will be published in about a week from now. Uh, given the holidays, maybe a little bit longer. But Jeff and everyone else at Vesper, uh, appreciate you being here with us today. And everyone have a happy holiday. Thanks again. Thank you.